0: The following podcast uses swear words that I'm still trying to learn how to use properly. Hello, and welcome to episode 276 of the Thinking Elsap Podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox in State Line, Nevada. Still, right? That's in correct. House, but yep, State Line, Nevada. Cool. And Rachel Barnes, the National Director of the National Black Law Students Association. Rachel, where are you?
1: I am calling from Charlottesville, Virginia.
0: Oh, okay. Cool. So a couple hours away from each other, I guess. Thanks for coming on the show today. We're going to obviously interview Rachel first and pick her brain about everything MBLSA. We're also going to tackle some emails, as usual. The first one is asking, should I retake a 170? Okay. 157 to, a high, to the high 160s in a few weeks, question mark. I guess someone is wondering if that's possible, or maybe they did that. I would I just know. go
2: ahead and say yes,
0: that's absolutely possible. But Okay. Yep. Yeah, we'll see what the question is. Early decision, seat deposit, help. <laughs> all caps. Okay. We'll see what we can say there. And if we have time, we'll tackle a logical reasoning question from test 65. This is going to air on Monday, December 14th. For some reason, I felt like saying that's only 11 days from Christmas. Amazon keeps telling me like every time I buy something, this is going to arrive by Christmas. I'm like, yeah, better. It's toilet paper. So, and we're almost <laughs> out. But, um, in any case, the, LSAT uh, flex registration deadline for the February LSAT is January 6th, so a little under a month away. The January LSAT flex testing week starts Saturday, January 16th, and then the February LSAT flex testing week starts Saturday, February 20th. If you have questions, email the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. We love hearing from all of you who love and hate us. Um... That's all. Yeah. Anything before we jump into this well, wonderful interview with Rachel?
2: We haven't told people yet about our new admissions subscription at yes. Um I'm going to be taking a pretty active role in that. Uh, we can't answer every single admissions question on the show, but we do have a team of people, including me, who can help with admissions stuff. Um, You can get all the information at lsatdemon.com, but basically, um, one of the features on the show that people like a lot is when we rip the shit out of people's personal statements, and uh, I'm going to be in charge of that. I'm doing my first one tonight, and I'm pretty excited uh, I think I'll have two different personal statements <laughs> that I will be able to read and comment on. Um, we do as many of them as we can on the show, but for people who are applying to law school now and want specific help with that, you can sign up for our it's, – it's not just that. It's my office hour. It's also um, Santi's teaching a class on don't pay for law school. Uh, just basically about law school finances. Yeah, And then Carl has his admissions hour that he does. Carl and Katie are going to be doing a class called The Committee, where they evaluate somebody's uh, whole application from start to finish. Anyway, uh, if you're interested in that, you can check it out at lsatdemon.com or email help at lsatdemon.com.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to point out the big difference between the show's uh, review of personal statements and your review of personal statements is that the person can be there and follow up with questions, right? And really give you more information and walk away with totally. I
2: think,
0: yeah, a more and depending on, plan.
2: right? And depending on how many people we have, I could even see going multiple laps with people, right? Like, I sure. will tell them all of the things that are horrible about their personal statement, and then maybe a couple weeks later, we'll have another chance to go back through it. Um, Yeah, so I'm excited. See how it goes.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a new concept, right? subscription service for admissions advice. Um, Admissions advice is pretty hefty out there. We'll see how this works. We hope that people like it.
2: Yeah, I mean, for a couple hundred bucks for one month, you're going to get a whole team of people to help you evaluate your application. So um, I think a few months of that is it's way cheaper than any of the other admissions stuff that's out there. So hopefully people will like it.
0: Cool. Oh yeah, and we have new live captions on demon classes? Are, are we announcing that? Well, <laughs> Is that a thing. We do, except for I have to remember to hit the button.
2: All of our teachers after oh, Zoom hasn't yeah. gotten it together yet to just do the live captions automatically. So I have to actually hit the start button and I have not yet remembered to do that. So, um, okay. Eden and all of my team <laughs> have been asked to remind me to do that. But we should start having those uh, live captions soon, which maybe they'll be helpful for people.
0: Cool. Yeah. Rachel, thanks again for coming on the show. Just as a reminder to our listeners, Rachel is the National Director of the National Black Law Students Association. And yeah, I don't actually even know how we got connected. I think, did you reach out initially?
1: Yeah, I did. I okay. think I randomly reached out on LinkedIn and and we connected.
0: Oh, good. Okay. Awesome. Well, um, we want to know more about you and, you know, how long have you been the National Director and... What's your day-to-day like? What is MBLSA, you know, working on right now? What's their highest priority? I'm sure they have lots of goals, but feel free to start with any of that. Sure. So I, uh,
1: my name is Rachel. I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. I am in my fourth year of four in the JD MBA program at the University of Virginia School of Law. After school, I guess, to get that out of the way, I'll be moving to Philadelphia, where I'll be practicing corporate law uh, for a law firm, doing mostly mergers and acquisitions, also known as m and This is my second term as chair of the National Black Law Students Association, or NABALSA, or NBLSA, all the, all the acronyms. And NABALSA was started in 1968. At NYU Law School and has since grown to represent over 200 law schools across the U.S., Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands. We also have a sister organization in Canada. Um, Our mission as an organization is to increase the number of culturally responsible Black and minority attorneys who excel academically, succeed professionally, and positively impact the community. And with that, we have three divisions that we operate with, Our primary division is the Law Student Division, of course, as the National Black Law Students Association, but we also have an alumni division and a pre-law division. And specifically within our pre-law division, we try to offer programming and information for students who are seeking to enter the legal field in whatever capacity. And we have programs and events related to admissions, financing of the LSAT, financing law school, um, and different decisions that go into being competitive to enter law school and beyond. And part of that is partnering with groups like LSAT Demon and sharing what kinds of materials you guys have uh, that you're interested in passing on to our members.
0: Cool. Um, Yeah, I mean, one thing you mentioned there is financing the LSAT and financing law school. I mean, obviously, financing law school is a lot more expensive than financing the LSAT, but either way, I'm curious what kind of advice you tend to give people. Like our our biggest thing is, hey, g- go go for free, right? Try to go to law school for free if at all possible. Do you tend to try to push people in that direction, or what what's what's the most common advice, and how do you get that out there?
1: Yeah, so. I agree, and I think that's our that's our primary advice: is try to find the loopholes, the scholarships, the discounts, things that will get you as close to free as possible, because it can be a very um, financially strenuous process. Um, in terms of how we share that information, we do programs, we have symposiums where we bring everyone together in our our pre-law network to share information that we have and also give our partners a platform to share the pro tips that they have. We partner with other groups that give financial advice as well and and funnel it through our website as well as our social media. And those are our our primary advice channels, Uh, but we're always looking for new ones.
2: How have the numbers changed um, since the founding of Navalsa, are we making progress, or are we slipping backward?
1: So it's a good question one one thing that we are working to do is increase the representation of black attorneys in the field of law. Right now, it's been holding steady at five percent for at least the last decade, and um, black individuals make up about thirteen to fifteen percent of the u s population on average, so it's, it's quite obvious that that is not even remotely representative of even the population um, within the U.S. And so that is something that we really want to work on. And part of that is raising awareness, letting people know that there are financial avenues for them to, to make it a little bit easier and affordable to get into law school, and also just demonstrating that it is a viable career path for, for more than just a certain subset of people.
2: It, are the numbers any better in law school? I guess if the numbers were better in law school, that would indicate that we were making progress.
1: They vary. It, it, it definitely varies depending on the region and state, things like that. But we see about an average of between 6 to 10%-ish depending on the law school. And obviously there are HBCUs uh, that have law schools as well. So those kind of skew the data in, in a certain way, but traditionally that's that's what we're looking at.
2: What can we do to help?
1: Well, you know, this is a start, you know, giving, a, giving me and our organization a platform to raise awareness about our support system, our programs that exist to help people who are, are seeking entrance into law school. Beyond that, I think... The biggest thing that people can do is just educate themselves and others, raising awareness, spreading the word, because a lot of people don't even know that this is an issue or that that this is a challenge. Everyone assumes that law school is fair and free and and easy to access for anyone who wants it. And that's not necessarily the case, especially when traditionally black and minority individuals face a lot of other financial barriers, especially that, that make it very difficult to even consider pursuing a career in law.
0: I was wondering too like Nathan you asked how many law students black law students are there in in law school right and I was wondering how many how many black applicants do we have coming from college what's the percentage there that or maybe that's that's not as big of a problem or
1: It's definitely a three-part problem people not choosing to apply people not getting in and then some people may be getting in, but not choosing to come for different reasons. They feel like they can't do it, or they don't, or they go and they drop out. So having having an attrition issue, things of that nature. So definitely, uh, Ben, what you asked is is important, thinking about, are we even getting people to apply? Are people even considering this as an option is, is something that we're working to track, though, of course, it's very challenging because it's not even... Pre-law doesn't really just encompass people coming straight from undergrad. There's people who choose law as a second career path or are Mm. taking the step a little later in their, in their life. So it's very difficult to, to measure, but admissions data indicates that at least applications to law schools overall are increasing. So hopefully that means that at some level, there's an increased representation of minority applicants.
2: What resources, uh, most of our listeners are pre-law, uh, you know, applying in the next couple of years, probably. What resources uh, do you have to offer?
1: So within our group, we offer partnerships with large and small LSAT prep companies like um, Blueprint, Barbary, but also smaller startups to give people financial options that are, are more feasible for them. Beyond that, we have discounts with different groups. We have different Partnerships with airlines, for example, like United Airlines and American Airlines uh, to make flying to our conferences back when the world was open uh, more feasible. We also have partnerships with Joseph A. Bank that offer suits. We do all sorts of things, trying to give people access to every element that that's required to be successful in a law school pursuit.
0: Wow. So wait, to find all those, they just go to your website and like look for pre-law and resources or something like that? Or how do they, yeah, how do they take advantage of those?
1: To take advantage of it, you just have to become a member. We have on our website, basic information about high level, what we offer. And then we have a membership guide that is available for students by request. And our membership is only $10 for the whole year. Uh, to get access to these these resources. So we try to make it as as feasible as possible for people to join. And then with that, you get, again, the discounts and the information on where to go and who we work with. Uh,
2: What's the website?
1: www.nblsa.org.
2: And you guys say Nabalsa.
1: Yes, Nabalsa. (laughs)
2: <laughs> cool. Um, I'm interested in, We. I think our listeners would be interested in a little bit of your personal story. Um, what What year did you say you, you are? I'm a 3L
1: officially, but I'm in a dual degree program. So that takes me four years at the school I'm at.
2: JD, MBA, right? Yes. Okay. This is a perfect time for you to call bullshit on, on us. Okay. Because <laughs> we, I have an MBA and I have a JD and I shit on JD, MBA programs constantly wow so i and i don't i frequently don't know what i'm talking about and i'm fully willing to admit that um our opinion that we've stated many times on the show has been that the jd kind of trumps the mba and we question what the value of it really is it just seems like an additional year of school and an additional fifty thousand dollars or whatever um Do you want to make the counter argument? What's the what's the MBA part doing for you?
1: Well, first, it makes me a lot more competitive compared to other just JDs, especially when I'm going into corporate law. I have a different understanding of what corporate clients want than someone coming straight out of law school does that comes with understanding the vocabulary, being able to communicate a bigger picture than just can we do this yes or no or where is my purchase agreement and that makes me also more marketable as a member of a law firm to clients because that just even just having the credential itself gives clients an added sense of assurance and and confidence in the team that they're working with because they feel as though With the MBA, you understand us. You get it. You're a business person. You know what EBITDA means um, and things of that nature. So having that makes it a lot easier for me to get acclimated to a corporate law environment faster. Not that it can't be done with with just a JD, but it, it makes it easier. Beyond that, I decided to get an MBA partially because I didn't know if I wanted to do law forever. And while a law degree translates to a lot of different things and opens several doors, Having an MBA gives me technical skills and, and an understanding of finance, accounting, econ, and things of that nature that I might not have just from a purely JD education. And especially since to go to law school, you don't have to have one specific type of major. Say I started as a philosophy undergrad and now I'm doing JD and now I wanna go into business. How do I do that? How do I how do I transition um, in an easier way? So for me, it gave me a lot of different options and flexibility and greater credibility in the spaces that I seek to occupy. And beyond that, I'm sure you would agree, even just being a part of an MBA program gives you access to a network that you wouldn't have otherwise of different individuals who are looking to either build their own business, go into banking, have their own hedge fund someday, things of that nature. So having those connections in, it, in and of itself is very, very valuable.
2: I guess it depends on the quality of the business school. We're not all about rankings here at Thinking LSAT. Um, Of course, rankings are, I think, vastly overrated in most cases. But UVA is a super high-ranked law school. Is the business school uh, similarly situated?
1: Yes, it is a very well-ranked business school as well. Uh, So that, that definitely played into my decision also, since I figured I would get an MBA eventually anyway, adding one extra year to an already long three years made more sense than doing five years total. Also, life happens later, and I felt like I wasn't going to be able to predict or control what my obligations were in the future. So doing the dual degree now made more sense for my timeline.
2: Are you taking classes uh, like at the business school with, just, with people who are just doing the MBA?
1: I did last year. This year I am taking classes again with business students, but I'm also taking law school classes.
2: Oh, so last year you were just doing business school.
1: Yes, I did two full years of law school, one full year of business school, and this is my last year doing both.
2: I see. And okay, and when you're when you were doing just business school, you were mixed in with the the actual business school. It's not just you're like with JD MBA people. You were fully with the MBA. Classes that's right, cool. And your program is um the MBA. So, my MBA was not rigorous, okay? Like, I don't know what EBITDA is, I have no idea, I didn't learn anything. But it sounds like you guys are like actually doing math and doing accounting, it's sort of a scientific discipline.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, My school is well, well known for its academic rigor, if nothing else. Um, uh, But that was that was what I wanted. I really, I really wanted to be able to speak intelligently in a business context uh, with the MBA. So that was helpful.
2: Cool. Ben?
0: Yeah, I guess other questions. How did you end up preparing for the LSAT? What was your experience there? Why did you decide to go to law school?
1: In terms of, I guess, first, why did I decide to go to law school? Mostly because science didn't work out. I wanted to be a chemistry teacher um, when I went into undergrad and then I took a real chemistry class and decided that this was not at all my calling. So the only other thing that made sense in high school was economics. So I switched and ended up graduating with a degree in econ. And during my time in undergrad, I realized that teaching was not going to be for me. And I wasn't sure, again, what else I was good at, but I really liked mock trial in high school. So I thought, okay, maybe I can do pre-law and see how that goes. So I joined Phi Alpha Delta, which is a co-ed pre-law organization. I was in all the pre-law, anything pre-law that was happening at my undergraduate university, I was attending. And I also interned in my last year at the district attorney's office in, in my um, college town and decided corporate or criminal law was not for me, but that I really did have an interest in law. So that progressed into after graduation, I worked as a paralegal briefly in Atlanta at a big law firm and really liked big firm life and decided law was definitely for me and big law was probably for me as well. So step 1 for that is prepping for the LSAT. In terms of how I did that, I took the LSAT twice. The first time I tried to do it by myself. And if I'm honest, I did not give myself enough lead time to prep by myself. And I don't think I took it very seriously. I thought, okay, I mean, it's just a standardized test. It's no big deal. I'll just kind of do a few problems, read the book, and it'll be fine. And so when I took it for the first time, I did a June LSAT. um, Took it for the first time, I think my junior year of undergrad. I did fine, but definitely not at all where I hoped to be. And that's when I decided that maybe I should get a bit more serious about it and and really try to take a course. So I did a course. I started in person, didn't like in person. Luckily, the group I was working with was very gracious enough to let me switch to online, which worked better because at that time I was working full time And trying to study for the LSAT and commuting after work to go to a class was just stressful and I didn't like it. So I ended up switching to online, which was in the evenings and recorded. So that let me go back and take notes and reevaluate what we had learned in class that day. And I did make a a, a decent improvement in my LSAT score the second time I took it and then applied to UVA.
2: Awesome. But before we let you go, any uh, tips? We have a lot of listeners who are probably starting law school this fall or maybe um, next fall. Any tips for uh, zero L's, soon to be one L's?
1: The biggest tip I would say is remembering that you are a high functioning adult before you started law school (laughs) and you will be during and after. I think law school does a good job of making you second guess all of your decisions every step of the way, because you see people who seem more confident than you at what they're doing or they're getting better grades. Therefore, they they must be smarter. They must be more capable. If you were smart enough to get into law school, you're smart enough to finish and succeed. So I I guess my biggest piece of advice is be confident in yourself. Try to have blinders when you are, when possible, so that you don't get caught up in what other people are doing because it's, it's really easy to doubt yourself and get distracted. But just reminding yourself why you're there and that, again, you are a high-functioning adult capable of graduating um, would be my biggest advice.
2: I love that tip. I mean, a little bit of perspective goes a long way. It's, it's crazy. The pressure cooker, especially the 1L, you know, first, first semester, uh, the whole first year, really. People just lose their minds
0: yeah also your comment on put the blinders on I think that's just like incredibly invaluable everywhere, right? Like people start comparing themselves. The only thing you have to do is what you have to do and you have to do it better than you did the day before. Just keep getting better. that's it cool. um if people want to reach you, what's the best way for them to get in touch social media so so on
1: yeah, social media at n b l s a or at NBLSA underscore prelaw. Those are our social media. We have LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. And then to reach me directly, I can be reached at chair, like sitting in a chair, at NBLSA.org.
2: Awesome.
0: Great. Thank you. Again, everyone, that was Rachel Barnes, the National Director of the National Black Law Students Association. NBLSA? N- Did I say N- Balsa. that? NBLSA. Right? Okay. Cool. Thanks again.
2: All right, I'm going to dive into this first email. It's uh, about whether you should retake from a 170. It's a damn good score. Um, it says, hi, Ben and Nathan. First of all, I'm a huge fan of the show and love all of your advice on not paying for law school. Using the demon, I went from a 145 diagnostic to a 164 on my first LSAT flex in October and a 170 on the November flex. Uh, wow, <laughs> 25 point. Improvement. Wow. I'm excited about my November score, but have been practice testing in the 169 to 174 range. I'm planning to apply fall of 2021 in order to start my 1L fall of 2022. Man, this is nothing but good right here, Ben. <laughs> this yeah, is our, all this is perfect. This you is, are following awesome. the
0: straight and narrow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank
2: you for actually taking our advice. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is going to work out really well. Uh, Since I'm not rushing to apply this cycle, what is your advice on retaking in January or February in order to squeeze out a few more points? I'm pretty confident that I can get a few points higher on the next LSAT, but don't know if I'm pushing my luck or should keep studying. Thank you so much and praise the demon. Maddie, P.S., I'm sorry if this email isn't well written. I have COVID right now and it's kicking my ass. Oh no.
0: Okay. Sorry, (laughs) Maddie, that sucks. Um, Wow, I Uh, hope you can recover in time to take it in January, February. The reality is you can take it, you have time. So if you end up taking it in February, that's still totally fine. You said you wondered whether you're pushing your luck. Well, the easiest way to, to tell is to take, Practice tests that you haven't seen before and see what score you get. If you start scoring in the mid 170s, which it sounds like you already are, I mean, you said 169 to 174, the more of those that are higher up, uh, the greater your chances are that you're going to increase that 170. So totally.
2: If your range is 169 to 174, you're already scoring above your 170 more often than you're scoring below your 170. Yep. And law schools really only care about your highest score. So the pushing your luck thing, I mean, if you take it again and you get a 169, I don't think the law schools are going to even notice. You're already a 170 when they do their index calculation. You're already a 170 according to the data that they're going to have to publish on their ABA 509 report. And you're already a 170 for us news and world report forever, no matter what you score on a subsequent (laughs) test. So, I mean, actually, and no matter if you score lower, if you score higher, then you're instantly going to be whatever that new higher number is. So it's like, press your luck, except there's no downside. You know, there's no whammy. You remember, press your luck, Ben. Remember that show? No whammy, No. no whammy. Stop. No You're no fun (laughs) You are talking to yourself But that is cool (laughs) Some old people out there Will remember that show I used to watch it Like when I was Homesick from school Or something But on that show You know It was like It was one of these things Where it's like Well should I try again Should I press my luck But the thing Mm -hmm. is If you get a whammy Then you lose everything
0: Right? Yeah, yeah. Well there yeah. is Here no you don't whammy. Lose yeah. No,
2: there's no whammy. You you get a one sixty, whatever, who cares? You still have you keep your one seventy. Mm-hmm. Um I guess a more modern example would be Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Who wants to be a millionaire? You yeah. like can go yep. for the next thing, right? But if you, but then you miss, might. then you go back. And mm-hmm. there's just no really going back. Um
0: Wait, do you go back or you offset? I thought you
2: lose it all? Um, I think there are like stages on millionaire and you you lock it in you. Yeah. You lock, but I mean, you do lock in like a significantly lower amount. I think it's like, yeah, you lock it in at 50 grand and then you lock it in at two fifty, something like that. But for sure it it, like the last, you know, it's like, well, you've got a half a million dollars. You could try to go for a million dollars, but if you lose, Mm. you're going to go significantly back. Anyway, Who gives a shit? Um, The point is, there's no downside really to retaking it, especially if your practice tests already demonstrate that you can score higher. Mm. I don't see why not. Furthermore, it sounds like Maddie has actually been enjoying the process, right? It's not like this is miserable. This this is not breaking rocks. She's Mm -hmm. good at the test. She's getting better, it seems like, at the test it's fun to achieve, right? And feel like you're doing better and better. And she sounds like maybe she could bump that range up a little bit higher before her retake. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, 170 is good, but it's not the 99th percentile. You got to have a 173 or a 174, right? To get to the 99th percentile. Yeah. Look at the schools you're interested in. If you're trying for... Harvard, Stanford, Yale, 170 is not gonna like super impress them. 175 though would be like at or above their average. Could totally be worth it.
0: Yeah. I'm I'd be remiss if you didn't take it. I don't know if that's the right way of using that phrase, but I would be sad because I think you have it in you, and this is the chance in your life to do that and to become a 174 or whatever, as Nathan put it, forever. Sorry, I've been laughing this whole email, not because of you, Maddie, but because when you said forever, Nathan, that just reminded me of... Did you hear Trump talking about uh, Operation Warp Speed the other day? He talked about infinity. I have
2: officially unfollowed Trump. I did this about two or three months ago. I like unfollowed him on Twitter mm. for my own mental health. I encourage everyone to do the same. I wish everybody would just stop paying attention to that idiot. I mean, it, it, it just like you get stupider every time you hear the guy talk. But anyway, what did he say about Operation yeah, so Warp so he Speed? I'm saying, sure it was dumb. You know,
0: he, well, he was saying that and this is true. He was like, look, we, we got this vaccine very quickly and it was thanks to my Operation Warp <laughs> yeah, Speed, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. Normally it takes five years or six years or seven or infinity. <laughs> <laughs> wow, infinity. Like, no vac- what, what vaccine is taking infinity? Like, just not the <laughs> things that come shit. out of his mouth.
2: <laughs> he is just a f- fucking idiot. Yeah, I mean, meanwhile, people are actually getting the vaccine in Europe. Yeah, and we're not getting it in the United States. Yeah, thanks, Trump. <laughs> I'm sure he'll figure out some way to blame it on Obama, right? But yeah,
0: Obama or Clinton or somebody. Yeah, or yeah, Biden.
2: Just the complete failure. Um, God, what a jackass. I just hope that guy goes away and we never have to hear from him ever again. I mean, he's just, it, it used to be funny, you know, years ago it was funny. And uh, it is far from, <laughs> I mean, it's still like you laugh at just the total idiocy, but it's too um, sca- sad and scary and depressing. Hey, I, you know, um, I'll, before we let Maddie go, I want to double down on your I would also be sad if Maddie didn't take it again. I mean, I, I think there's nothing but upside here, and um, getting that 173 or 174. I think the 99th percentile now is actually bumped up to 174. Um, used to be mm-hmm. 173. Yeah, the flex seems like it's easier by about a point for most people. Yeah. Um. So take it again, Maddie. Uh, there's no reason not to keep studying. Um, you know, those four or five points could absolutely be the difference at, uh, Harvard or Stanford or Yale
0: or more money Uh, at a lower school, right? Full ride. So
2: right. And tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially. So there's just nothing but upside. Hey, did you know Ben that we have a third member of our team who is admitted to Yale for, uh, 2021,
0: Oh no. Who got admitted?
2: Well, we got Carl and Katie who yep. are doing the uh-huh. admission stuff for us, Yeah, but my awesome TA Rebecca, um, on Thursday nights, uh, she just emailed me the other day and said that she's in at Yale as well. So wow, that's awesome. We're going to be taking over the, uh, in the one L <laughs> class, because <laughs> it's not a very big class, but there's going to be like a significant component of, uh, LSAT demon slash thinking LSAT people starting in, y- starting at Yale. Um, coming up this fall, which Wants we'll to send them some exciting.
0: demon shirts. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs>
2: they should show up on the first day. Just <laughs> blanketed. <laughs> that demon. Um, it, hey Ben, what's your, uh, we haven't done a, like a COVID alert update. What's your COVID alert level these days? Mine got significantly higher in the last few days.
0: Well, cause of the increase in cases and the decrease in ICU capacity.
2: The wild increase in cases and the perilous, uh, perilously small margin of ICU beds that are actually available now. Um, here's some other shitty bad news. Um, one of my best friends, Caitlin, just discovered that her one of her coworkers that she has been working in fairly close quarters with just got a positive test. <laughs> um, my grandma is in an old folks' home. And my dad was emailing me or texting me like wild numbers. There's like 11 of the staff at her old folks home have tested positive positive. Hmm. one wow. out of the 14 patients in her small little unit. There is a positive test among. So, you know, one in 14 for yeah. my grandma. Yeah. And then something like 40 other patients that are in the like larger, um, I shouldn't say old folks home. That's kind of mean, but that's what it is whatever. It's a place for old folks, but there's like 40 other patients (laughs) in the other part of the facility that have tested positive. And I mean, those are the people who like actually die from it. Yeah. Um, South Lake Tahoe, uh, you know, I'm in state line, right? So I'm on the Nevada side yeah it's very different in California and Nevada, but uh <laughs> South Lake Tahoe is like closed for tourists we're this starting tomorrow I think we're supposed to get dumped hmm. on snow. The ski resorts are still open, but all the restaurants all the like all the facilities uh everybody is being encouraged to stay home and not come up for the next like at least three weeks apparently on this new round of shutdowns. Hmm. It's getting kind of weird, man. I don't know. Anyway, I was supposed to be asking you a question.
0: No, no, (laughs) it's all right. (laughs) It's interesting to hear all that. There's this thing going on in my brain. You know, like um, teenagers when they're driving, they never think they're going to get hit. They never think they're going to get like killed. They have this like invincibility syndrome. Well, I feel like despite my years, I still have that in regards to COVID because I... I still don't know anyone immediately close to me who's gotten it. And even if I do get it, I have this deep embedded belief that rationally I'm trying to get over, but that I'm going to be just fine. And so (laughs) rationally, I'm like, okay, let's keep our distance. Okay, we're not going to fly this Christmas. We're going to kind of keep things local. We're not going to hang out with a lot of people. Like I get that, but I don't feel it. Yeah. It's all just like purely analytically driven.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I only really feel it because of my parents and my grandparents. Mm. You know, I I I agree with you. I'm I'm not as healthy as you are, but I feel like I'm strong enough that if I got it, I would probably be fine. Slash could have already possibly had it, right? Like yeah. we don't yeah. we don't really know. There's no way to yeah. know who has and who hasn't had it. It's just this big mystery. And we can't be just scared of getting it for our entire lives. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't let years and years go by. Hopefully the vaccine will get here pretty quickly and that'll help with some of that. But for the next few months, man, it's like, I would love to see my grandma. I, you know, I was, she was trying to get out of the place and come up and visit, but now it's just like, she, she is not in good health you know, yeah. and my other grandma is in better health, but she's still 80 something. And then my parents are not in super great health. That's, that's the scary part. I don't know. I don't know yeah. what I'm saying. I just hope everybody um, <laughs> is doing okay. <laughs> Cause it's, it's scary, weird times, you know, it's, it's wild. Yeah. to just think about, no, if, if my grandma got this, she, she would be not in good shape yeah that would be bad, like
0: yeah, yeah that's actually bad. my biggest fear is getting it either knowing or not knowing, and somehow giving it to someone else who who really gets messed up by it, yeah good uh good luck, Maddie yeah, <laughs> sounds geez. like you're getting better Mad- yeah
2: hopefully, yeah, Maddie, please retake the LSAT if you uh survive um covid <laughs> if good you luck. survive.
0: <laughs> we hope you survive. Oh, no. but you get better quickly. Yeah. All um, right. Let's
2: let's move on,
0: huh? Yeah. So this one, this next one is from Jessica. It says, "Hi Ben and Nathan, I took the November LSAT Flex. I got a score of one fifty-seven. I'm taking the LSAT in January, and I was wondering if you, if both of you think it's possible for me to jump to the high one sixties with the LSAT demon by then." Okay, you answered this question initially, Nathan. You said yes, um, by January. That's a month away. I don't think it's unreasonable, um, but I don't know that I would plan on it either.
2: Yeah, it's not the kind of thing that we could guarantee. Yeah. But it is the kind of thing that happens an awful lot. I mean, yeah. you know, I, the more I teach the LSAT, the more committed I become to the idea that it makes perfect sense. And all you got to do is just keep asking some questions anytime it doesn't make sense. I mean, it, the light bulb, just, it's, it's so easy and so satisfying to turn the light bulb on for people. I, I see yeah. it in every single class I teach. I got somebody sitting there who is, you know, I can see it on their face that they're confused. And I can see that they want to ask a question. hmm and I force the class to ask questions, you know, cause I'll just shut up. I'll be like, Hey, you guys gotta, t- you guys gotta tell me what's up. Like, <laughs> I know that you don't all get this and I promise you it makes perfect sense. So I'm going to shut up now, believe it or not. And you're going to have to ask me a question. Yeah. And finally I'll see somebody unmute themselves. Sometimes they <laughs> unmute themselves, then mute themselves again, <laughs> then unmute themselves and finally ask, you know, or they'll type a question in the chat and they'll ask a question, and 15 seconds later, I'll explain it in some other different way, and I can just see their face light up. It's, it's like, I mean, you know this experience, of course. It's just so satisfying. Yeah. But all we're really doing is showing people how easy the test is. It makes perfect sense. You just need to really understand what they're asking you. You know, maybe you didn't read it carefully enough. Maybe you don't have the experience to know what they're really looking for when they use certain wording or whatever, but it's, it's not really any magic. It's just, it totally makes sense. And you see the light bulb go on and it's like, I know for sure that your LSAT score just went up by like a point. And if you keep coming to class and you keep asking questions, you know, I think I can get you another point next time and another point the time after that. And it we see it all the time that people improve by 10 points in a month of classes. Yeah. So even if I can't guarantee it, I I'm I'm pretty optimistic like if there were um this is Jessica. Yeah. If I had 10 Jessicas uh, some of them would for sure make that leap from 157 yeah. to 167 in a month. Not yeah. every Jessica, but some of them will for sure. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Well, one thing, as you were talking about how the LSAT makes sense, I started thinking about w- why that is. And I think in part it's because despite the fact that law school is not <laughs> scientific, the LSAT <laughs> is it's just yeah. words, words have certain definitions. They may yeah. not have the definition that you know, but if you look them up, you'll see there's a definition there that you may yep. have missed. And it's just, do these words and these sentences combined together equal this other thing or not? And you're just not seeing why it doesn't. And yeah. you just need and to understand those words or sentences better. There's also multiple
2: ways to get to the correct answer, right? You, you can eliminate the four wrong answers or you can positively identify the right answer. Yeah. And so you have two chances not to miss that question. If you refuse to pick a wrong answer, you know then the only remaining answer must be correct. And hopefully, and, and it does, the correct answer, when you read it properly, the correct answer makes perfect sense. Yep. We had one, it was just on Tuesday night in class, we mm-hmm. had one that was just like this, where there was a weird phrase in the correct answer that people didn't like. And so Mm. they avoided picking it because there was something in there that they didn't quite understand. Yeah. But the four wrong answers were just conclusively wrong. There was just no way in hell you can pick those four wrong answers. Yeah. And so having eliminated the four objectively wrong answers, you're left with this one answer that's everybody can tell it's basically right, except for this one weird phrase And the one weird phrase, if you interpret it in the correct way, makes perfect sense, right? So that's half of what we do is just explain to the students that, listen, in the minds of the test makers, every answer makes perfect sense. Every correct answer makes perfect sense in the minds of the test maker. And so if we have higher standards and we refuse to pick these wrong answers, the one remaining answer hopefully we can interpret it in such a way that it, that you hear that, you know, you feel that click that it makes perfect sense. Yeah. That's what we do. And we have been damn successful at it. So anyway, do you want to continue with uh, yeah.
0: the rest of so Jessica's she, email? Sure. So she's wondering if it's possible for me to jump up to the high one sixties by January. And she continues. And what advice would you give me in terms of studying? Thank you so, so much for all your advice and input on the podcast. Listening to it has helped me a lot. Well, my number one advice for studying for the LSAT is get a demon account and start drilling and reading the explanations. I, that is the fastest and surest way to get in and start understanding what you don't know about the test and logic.
2: Yeah. I mean, right now, if you went to, and I don't want the whole show to be a commercial, but to answer your question, Jessica, go to lsatdemon.com, sign up for a free trial, start drilling. In two minutes, you will be learning something about the LSAT. You'll, you'll do a question and then you'll see our explanations. Ben said reading the explanations. Yeah. I think the written explanations are best for logical reasoning and for reading comprehension for logic games, I think the video explanations are best.
0: To give you an example of how convinced I am of this, I was helping Matthew, my oldest son prepare for the SAT last night, <laughs> and I was like, we need practice problems that we can just do and like review. And we have found several, and there are apps out there for SAT questions. But I still, I just wanted to know our question cause they are like short and then we can do the question right after and like talk about it, you know? So, um, he'll probably have a demon account soon. Just so you know, <laughs> <laughs> cool. yeah, I hope he
2: doesn't mind swear words. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, people who are upset by uh foul language are probably not our ideal customers, but, um, Nah, it it makes perfect sense and I I agree, Ben. Get in there and do the drilling. If it if for, for Jessica, you know, if Jessica's considering one of our higher level of subscriptions, um, mm-hmm. the live level of subscription, we have multiple live classes on Zoom seven days a week. It is, as Rachel was saying, everything's recorded. And so she, she was saying that she liked her online LSAT prep a lot better than her live uh, in person LSAT prep. And I totally agree that it's better. It's more efficient, saves tons of time, no commuting, no parking, no hassling around with, you know, preset schedules. You got multiple different classes to choose from. If you can't make it exactly on time, that's fine. I don't give a shit if people show up late. I don't care if people leave early on zoom. It doesn't matter. Uh, and the whole thing is recorded, so you don't even have to, you know, you could do the class at 3am if you want to. Um, it's, it's all right there for you in the demon. If you are going to do the live level of subscription, we, we roughly divide our study time into thirds, uh, one third classes, one third drilling and one third, uh, timed sections, timed practice tests and review. If you're not going to have the live classes as a component of your studying, then it's probably half and half, huh, Ben? Drilling half the time, timed sections and review the other half of the time. Exactly. Maybe a little more on the drilling side, actually. The value of just doing one question is huge. So do a question, try to get it right. If you struggle with it at all, the explanation is right there. If the explanation isn't perfect, there's an ask button, so you can get an email response we are seeing lots of 20 plus point improvements with the demon and, um, you know, I'm selling here, but I, a thousand percent believe in what I'm selling. So yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I do think we can help a lot. Yeah. All right. Uh, next email. Let's do it. it says early decision seat deposit help. Hi guys. I was accepted early decision to a law school ranked in the low 40s, presumably paying sticker price or damn near and put down my seat deposit last month.
0: Whoa. Gross. (laughs) I got a lot of concerns here. Like, why are you uh, (laughs) applying early decision to a law school? Okay, anyways. This this is
2: bad times. Unlike Maddie, who was nothing but good times. Well, the COVID part was bad, but she, Maddie is... (laughs) You know, following our advice, um, we never advise anybody to apply early decision. Uh, most unless it seems they
0: like guarantee a full ride, and right. even then, I'd be a little hesitant. Right. Certain
2: early decision programs um, are binding and rec- and come with a scholarship. Other early decision programs are binding, and they know that they don't have to give you a scholarship. And it's just an awful idea. I don't know why anyone would do this. It makes no sense, unless this is your dream school and you're a multi-millionaire who just doesn't give any shit about how much law school costs. I hadn't gotten around to withdrawing all of my other applications, and recently heard I was waitlisted/slash held at hmm. Washington and Lee, and also was awarded a hefty scholarship at University of Miami. My stats are 3.29 GPA and a 161 LSAT. So I'm pretty happy with these outcomes. Is there any point in my even considering these other opportunities? Could I even get out of an ED seat deposit? I would appreciate any advice. Of course, feel free to read my question on the show. A. Well, Step one, Ben, I guess we don't know whether this is a binding program or not a binding program. Yes,
0: yeah, so you got to figure out whether it's binding or non-binding. If it's non-binding, then yes, you can get out of it. If it's binding, I wouldn't say that this story ends there. I would read what you agreed to. This is your opportunity to be your own lawyer. Figure out what you agreed to.
2: S- sure. Step one, figure out what you agreed to. Step two, can they actually enforce that against you? right? That was a lesson that I learned in my 1L year Mm -hmm. that contracts are only good so far as they are enforceable. And it might be the case that you have agreed to something that the school would have no recourse to actually enforce against you if you chose to break it.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: That said, uh, we are not lawyers and you are not a lawyer and only a lawyer is going to be able to actually tell you whether you can break this or not. You could go, go it alone, like go rogue and just walk away from you, you know, withdraw from that school and go to school somewhere else. But man, if they found out, I don't know. I, it's bad times. I'll I'll tell the story. I've probably told this story 10 times on the show, but you know, I remember when I had a student who applied early decision to Hastings for some goddamn reason, also applied to Berkeley, a vastly better school, got in, of course, to Hastings, binding early decision, then got into Berkeley. Hmm. My advice at the time was to call Hastings and to say, hey... I know I applied early decision and I'm really sorry, but I've gotten into Berkeley and I was really hoping that you would let me out of this commitment that I made. <laughs> Hastings reacted as if they had just, it was a slap in the face. They couldn't believe it. Their response was, you know, are you really going to start, you, know, you you made a <laughs> commitment to us and in exchange for your commitment to, we, we evaluated your application early. And, um, you know, is this really going to be the way that you, start your law, your legal career. And I, which that was like, so insulting when I read that. Um, but they actually, you know, they, they actually were like gonna call Berkeley across the Bay and say, Hey, this student applied early decision binding. And they actually forced that student to go to Hastings instead of go to Berkeley. And I don't know if that's the situation that a has gotten themselves into or not, but I'm very worried that that is the situation.
0: Yeah. You know, hey, you were telling us about you got waitlisted and held at Washington and Lee. You also got a hefty scholarship. I, I don't know what you mean by hefty, but you got a scholarship at the University of Miami. I was just looking at our scholarship estimator. That's com forward slash scholarships. I put in your numbers, 3.29 and a 161 and when you look at washington and lee um it says less you're likely to get well this estimator says that there's a, there are people <laughs> in your situation who have gotten less than half tuition so i'm i'm glad that you got waitlisted at washington and lee but there are other people who are with your same numbers getting scholarships at washington and lee so anyway I think the word of warning here for anyone who's listening to this is don't apply early decision. Instead, go to the estimator and start to get start to get a sense of what you're worth and have higher expectations for these schools. Early decision might be
2: fine if it's not binding. Early decision might be fine if it comes with a scholarship. Most of these programs, though, are scams in order to get you to try to pay full price at their law school. You know, they get you to, because yep. I mean, the consider, think about what the consideration is, Ben. They're going to evaluate your application early. Wow. Oh, in exchange geez. for that valuable, wow. <laughs> in exchange for that valuable consideration, you are now committed to go to their school if they admit you. And once you're, com- once you're committed like that, then they have no incentive to give you a scholarship. And so these programs are just shameful scams. And I'm sorry, A, if that's what you fell for. I don't think the seat deposit really does anything, right? The seat deposit is just like you're starting to pay money. Um, a is really not going to like my next bit of advice. But my next bit of advice is if they won't let you out of this deal, and they're going to charge you full price. There is one way out of the deal, which is you wait another cycle to go to law school. Walk away, yeah. from, walk away from whatever this school is that's ranked in the low 40s. By the way, if it's ranked in the low 40s, it's not anything special. Walk away from that school. Also walk away from Washington and Lee. Also walk away from University of Miami and try again next cycle. Um, September 1st, we'll be here before you know it. This time next year, you will have another batch of offers. You'll have a year to think about what you've done. I'm just kidding. Um, You know, (laughs) it it sucks. I'm sure A does not want to hear that advice. But uh, for a quarter of a million dollars or whatever that you're going to end up borrowing to go to some school ranked in the low 40s, I would uh, 10 times out of 10, I would walk away from all of those offers you know you'll get the same scholarship offers next year you might even get better scholarship offers next year if you apply with uh, potentially a couple points higher on the LSAT maybe but this is going to be a tragedy if uh they end up paying full price to go to the school
0: also i mean while you're talking i was just thinking is is 161 a your best score that you could right. get i mean seriously Spend two months, bump it up to a 165, a mere four points. You're now not talking about a hefty scholarship at the University of Miami. You're talking about a full scholarship. I I don't know. To me, you're trading one pill for another. Do you want to study the LSAT a little bit longer or do you want to have a mountain of student loans? <laughs>
2: Yeah. The LSAT is not a perfect predictor of your success in law school, but it is a predictor of your success in law school. It's not a perfect predictor of your success in legal practice, but it is a predictor of your success in legal practice. If 161 is the best LSAT score you can you can achieve, mm, that doesn't bode super well for your success in law school and it doesn't bode super well for your success in legal practice. So, you know, if that's if that really is the very best you can get, I for sure would not pay for law school. Oh my God. Like the, the 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 odds of you being unsuccessful in law school or being unsuccessful in legal practice are pretty high if you maxed out at 161. I mean it's high for everybody, no matter what your LSAT score is. It's there's yeah. a very high attrition rate in law school. There's a very high attrition rate in legal practice. That's why we yell every single episode about not paying for law school. Just you know, yeah. it's like such a risky the people do not understand the risk they're taking by borrowing yeah. all that money. It's a gigantic risk. Don't do it. If you can go to school for free with a 161, great. Whatever. I still say though, prep a little harder for the LSAT, give it another couple of months, take it again, get a 165, you know, or, or something higher. Go to a better school for free. Just even if this is a binding program, I really definitely think A should take another year and walk away from from it. Yeah, that's not legal advice, by the way. (laughs) I'm not 100% sure that you can do that. I imagine you can, though, right? I can't, they can't own you forever because of this one early decision.
0: Well, it also not, goes – I don't know, but it goes back to enforceability. You're going to send someone an invoice for a law school that they're not attending? The biggest <laughs> yes. leverage that they have is that they go after you and prevent you from going to other schools because, like you said, the others – they call up the other schools and say, look, are you going to accept this person who walked away from – Who's in uh, breach of contract with us? With us, yeah. And, right. And, They may not – the other school may not care about the school that's calling them, but they care about being treated the same way when the tables are turned. So they're going to probably help their own. Yeah. In my
2: Hastings versus Berkeley example earlier, um, as I recall, Berkeley was just immediately like, oh, yeah, we're not – sorry. Like we can't take you because you signed this other thing with Hastings. Yep, yep. So these schools are far apart from each other. There's some chance that they might not even find out, but there's a significant chance that they could find out. And man, would it be a disaster for you to like move to Miami, start law school. And then somehow during your first semester, like your school comes to you and goes, um, we got some bad news. (laughs) We have to kick you out of school because you signed a binding early decision with this other school. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a disaster.
0: But look, God damn it. all this goes back to what your agreement says. E- regardless, though, I, if you can walk away this year from everything, I would seriously consider that. And good luck.
2: It's only one year. Um, the, the next year, we'll be here before you know it. I. It's no shame in doing it, and it. it it's almost always better to just wait and get a better deal. I, there's no reason to rush into law school ever, really. If yeah. you know, if you if you were gonna become a lawyer in twenty twenty five or twenty whatever, you know, yeah. okay, well, you're gonna become a lawyer in twenty twenty six instead. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> what difference does it make? Yeah. All
0: right. Um, anything else on that? All right. So we have a logical reasoning question here. It's test 65, section 4, question 14. I'll go ahead and read the passage, Nathan, maybe if you want to read the answers or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'll
2: probably just stop you after a sentence, right? I mean, <laughs> what one? the really good way to teach this stuff is to just kind of demonstrate our thought process. And it's not like we read the whole argument and then think about it. That's what students tend to do, right? Novice students, especially
0: read through the whole thing and then turn their brain on. Yes. That ain't it. And they don't grapple with the stuff that's mildly confusing. Instead, they press ahead thinking that somehow the future sentences will clarify.
2: (laughs) Right. Right, which is just bad reading comprehension practice generally. You need to understand the first bit before you can move on to the second bit. The second bit is probably not going to explain the first bit. It's probably going to get muddier the farther you go if you don't comprehend each bit as you read. So go ahead.
0: Yeah, so this is uh, question 14. It says, geographer, because tropical storms require heat, and moisture, they form, especially over ocean surfaces of at least 23 degrees or 26 degrees Celsius, which is 79 degrees Fahrenheit, ocean temperatures that global warming would encourage.
2: Okay. Yeah, so immediately, you know, I, the first thing I noticed was the word require, tropical storms require yes. Mm -hmm. Heat and moisture, which is indicating a necessary condition. Not a sufficient condition, but a necessary condition. So um, necessary means without heat, there will be no tropical storm. Without moisture, there will be no tropical storm. Even if you do have heat, though, and moisture, that's not a guarantee that you're going to have a tropical storm because these are necessary conditions, not sufficient conditions. Correct. Okay, the second thing that I noticed... I mean that was all in the first, you know, half a sentence.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. The second thing that I noticed is it says ocean temperatures that global warming would encourage.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Yep. Global warming makes the oceans warmer. Yep. Encourages the oceans to be warmer. It doesn't necessarily a hundred percent force them to be warmer in all situations. But, you know, it stands to reason that like earth is getting warmer. This tends to encourage warmer ocean temperatures and the warmer ocean temperatures provide the necessary components for tropical storms. So putting all of that together into one thing, it seems as if global warming is going to encourage the formation of tropical storms, specifically by creating the conditions that are required for a tropical storm to appear. Doesn't guarantee that they're gonna happen, but it, it does tend in that direction. It
0: makes it increases the opportunities for it to be possible to have those tropical storms. And therefore, it stands to reason that the tropical storm's frequency will increase.
2: Yeah, it certainly doesn't seem like global warming is going to reduce the incidence of tropical storms, right? That would be strange. Quite a bit more likely, (laughs) by making these necessary conditions true, seems more likely that you're going to have tropical storms.
0: Yes. Now, I would say it's safe to say (laughs) that if you didn't put the these things together, if you didn't realize that global warming was likely to increase, I'm not saying it does, but that it's likely to increase the incidences of tropical storms, especially over oceans, then um, you're not reading carefully enough or slowly enough, and you're not thinking about each part of the sentence. Keep in mind, this sentence was just one sentence, and it had three parts, and you need to understand each of them.
2: Well, yeah, because this is not the kind of reading that you did in college where you had t- way too long of reading assignments and, and what you were really going to do is you were going to skim half of each one, right? Yep. That's what most people do in college. That's not this. This is a lot more like computer science where every single line of code actually matters And you really have to understand what's going on with every single bit of it. Yep. So uh, students almost universally think that they read too slowly and they need to read faster. Mm -hmm. It's almost never actually true. Students read too quickly. They don't read well enough. They don't pay enough attention to each one of these little bits. It all makes perfect sense. It's all going to add up. But I have to do the math. Right, I I can't just skim through this and not really get it. I have to do the math as I go. I have to pay attention to the pieces and parts, you know, and and be on guard about ways that they might try to bullshit me too. Right, the primary thing I'm worried about after that first sentence is that this geographer is going to turn around and confuse sufficient for necessary. Right, they said that these conditions are required. They could easily turn around then and say, oh, so therefore, glo- uh, global warming is going to for sure cause an increase in tropical storms.
0: Yes. At which, At which point one, I would go, whoa, those were say, necessary yeah, conditions, it's not probably sufficient conditions. True, but not necessary. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So this geographer continues. For this reason, many early discussions of global warming predicted that it would cause more frequent and intense tropical storms. That Which, makes total sense given what we just said. Yeah. That's what we predicted,
2: right? I mean, yeah. that, the first sentence sure does seem to suggest that, but I feel it's, a butt coming. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I do feel a butt coming and, but at the same time, I'm so glad that we did that because I now feel like I'm, standing alongside these fellow researchers like yeah we all get it okay now what's what's the big secret what's...
2: it's the number one reading comprehension technique and it, it, they they literally teach it to second graders what do you think's going to come next we read that first sentence and we predicted oh so global warming maybe is going to cause more tropical storms And that's exactly what the second sentence said. Well, it actually said early discussions of global warming made that prediction, right? So it's easy to comprehend the second sentence because we took the time to put the pieces of the puzzle together in the first sentence.
0: He continues, but recent research shows that this prediction is unlikely to be borne out. Okay, this I'm going to, put a lot of money on as the main conclusion of this person's argument. I don't know for sure, but it sounds like, Hey, I told you what some other people think. I gave you a reason for why they thought that. And now I'm telling you that there's some research that shows this is unlikely to be true. And we're probably going to learn a little bit more about that so that we can understand why the prediction is unlikely to be borne out.
2: 99 out of a hundred times. If they show up talking about somebody is wrong That's almost always the conclusion of the argument. This was a very sensible prediction that these people could have made, but they're wrong. Whoa. What do you mean they're wrong? Why do you think they're wrong? Yeah. Right. So 99 times out of a hundred, this next sentence is going to be a premise. It's they got to explain themselves at this point, right? You don't get to just go into court and go, you're wrong.
0: (laughs) You have to provide evidence that someone is wrong.
2: Yeah. So so that's what we're expecting now.
0: Yeah. And notice we're reading faster and faster. We did the heavy lifting up front and now we're just cruising. Other factors such as instabilities in wind flow are likely to counteract global warming's effects on tropical storm development.
2: Okay. It's not very satisfying, is it? No, it's, it's not a very satisfying. It's, it's a weak premise. It's just other factors with an example of those factors.
0: And we don't have any explanation as to why they're likely to counteract them. Although, as a premise, it's like, okay, I don't really understand it still, but if they're likely to counteract them, then maybe your conclusion that this prediction is unlikely to be borne out kind of makes sense. I'm still not really happy with it because I don't have a lot of explanation, but it is what it is.
2: Yeah, we would want to know more of these other factors. We would want to know exactly how these other factors work. But for now, we know that this geographer has come here to tell us that this prediction, global warming, is going to increase the incidence of tropical storms, is probably wrong. Why? Well, other factors—
0: Yep. Okay. The question says which one of the following most accurately expresses the conclusion drawn in the geographer's argument. Well, this is this is over. This is over. We already know what the conclusion is. It's the third sentence. We've already identified it. Now all we have to do is go and find an answer choice that restates that sentence. Reason
2: number 10559 why you shouldn't read the question stem first. If you had known in advance that this was a main conclusion question, you very likely might've gone into the geographer's argument looking for keywords.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can see it now too. I bet they put that because in the very first sentence, because tropical storms require heat and moisture. People like, Oh, Oh, evidence.
2: evidence." There's another one, Ben. It says for (laughs) For this this reason reason, at the beginning of the second sentence, Yeah. And both of those can be used. The the, for this reason very frequently introduces a conclusion. Well, it actually
0: is. Right. For the previous reason, here comes the conclusion. It is a conclusion, but it's a conclusion of the opinion of others, which other people, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And they didn't use any keywords at all (laughs) to indicate their conclusion or yeah. the premise that they were actually using to support their conclusion. This yeah. is a beautiful teaching question it, to, to specifically teach. Don't read the question stem first. Don't think that you can game this shit. Instead, yeah. you really have to read the geographer's entire argument, trying to figure out what they really want. Why are they wasting our time with this? What did they come here to prove? Well, they came here to prove that people are wrong. Yeah. The conclusion of the argument is definitely that third sentence. The keywords wouldn't have helped you out here at all.
0: Yep. Yeah. And look at this. Answer choice A says tropical storms are especially likely to form over warm ocean surfaces. Okay. Uh, that's the opposite of the conclusion and this is the second half or the like the middle part of the first sentence which a lot of people would Re- reflexively identify as the main conclusion because it came after this because clause.
2: Yep. If you're trying to game it, you just played yourself totally. Yep. You know, th- th- this would be, I bet a Kaplan student misses this question every fucking time. Just picks <laughs> A because they read the question stem first. Oh, main conclusion. I'm going to look for keywords. Yeah, tropical storms are especially likely to form over warm o- ocean surfaces. It says for this reason. You know? <laughs> I learned that if I look for those keywords, it's going to tell me every time what the conclusion is. And sure enough, you're going to fall into their trap. And you're going to think, you know, you'd be so smug when you did it too, because you're going to pick a, you're probably not even going to read B, C, D, or E. You're going to be on to the next with your shitty low accuracy.
0: And then you're going to blame the LSAT for being subjective and inconsistent when A doesn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: totally. That's, that's absolutely, man. People who think the LSAT doesn't make sense, people who think that there are multiple good answers, people who think that it's just oh, the whims of What do you mean? That's not their main conclusion. Of course that was their It could main be. Conclusion.
0: I mean, it could it be could what be. the geographer was trying to prove. They don't know <laughs> I have a friend who's a geographer and <laughs> <laughs> or like,
2: well, if the right, if the other answer wasn't there, it's just that the right answer is a better fit. Right. And if it's that a answer wasn't there, oh then A, then a would for it. sure be the answer. Right. <laughs> no, A is the opposite of their conclusion. Yeah. Or I
0: mean, it's actually, well, it's, it's factually, well,
2: I, I don't true. think the geographer actually disagrees with A. Yeah. Right. The, I mean, the geographer did say that warm ocean surfaces provide the necessary conditions in yeah. order to have tropical storms, but they went further than that. You know, they went, they got to eventually their other factors that are going to counteract global warming's tendency to increase tropical storms. And they they really came here to tell you that these predictions were wrong. All right, let's keep Answer going. choice
0: B. Contrary to early discussions, Okay. So I'm not hating it yet. Global warming is not the only factor affecting the frequency and intensity of tropical storms. Ah, Okay. So the prediction that the conclusion was talking about was this idea that global warming would cause more frequent and intense tropical storms. And the conclusion said, hey, this prediction is unlikely to uh, be accurate, right? It's, it's it's not likely that global warming is going to cause more frequent and intense tropical storms. Answer choice B sounds to me like something that someone might kind of conclude from this on their own, but it's not the main conclusion as stated in that third sentence.
2: Nobody ever said that global warming is the only factor affecting no the frequency that. and intensity of tropical storms. I mean, yeah. that just it's misstating the actual facts. So, Mm -hmm. it, you know, on a main conclusion question, you can definitely get rid of anything that misstates the argument.
0: Yeah.
2: B is misstating what those earlier discussions even were.
0: Answer choice C says, if global warming were reversed. (laughs) Okay. I'm not not reading any further. Do you want to read any further?
2: No, because... The facts were not about nobody ever said shit about reversing global warming i mean that's just it 's not what they said. I need an answer that they said, and it 's their main
0: point mm-hmm.
2: they didn 't say that shit goodbye
0: <laughs> this is, This falls into those categories or that category of answers in which they like to talk about the scenario that wasn 't talked about. Right, like the argument talked about what would happen, what would happen if global warming, you know, increased, and they're like, well, what if it didn't? And it's like, yo, we right. didn't talk about that. Right. And yeah. those, I instantly walk away from. Right. D. Uh, instabilities in wind flow will negate the effect of global warming on the formation of tropical storms. That's uh, way too strong and not the main conclusion. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think you're right. Negate is really strong because what they yeah. said was likely to counteract. Yeah. My real problem though with D is that instabilities in wind flow was just one example sure. of other factors. And they certainly, their main conclusion doesn't have to do with instabilities in wind flow. Their main conclusion has to do with, hey, these predictions are probably wrong. Why? Well, not just because of instabilities in wind flow, but untold numbers of other factors. But anyway, that's a premise, not not the conclusion. So there's a couple things that are wrong with yeah. me.
0: One, it's one of many factors. Two, it's too strong. is likely to counteract, as opposed to will negate. Three, it's a premise, as opposed to a conclusion. Here's the thing: if you're winning on the LSAT, you can knock out the wrong answers oftentimes. With one, two, three, four, or infinite reasons. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> that's that, that well, that's a...
2: one of the reasons why the L said infinite. Okay. <laughs> Trump. Um,
0: <laughs>
2: sorry, I almost missed your joke. Yeah, it's, okay. um, it's,
0: a, it's a bad joke, but it... <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: I should be used to it by now. We're on episode 270, whatever. Nah. the um, <laughs> The, that's But this is, again, it's one of the reasons why the LSAT is so damn easy is because the wrong answers are super, super wrong. Not yeah. only can we knock this out for one reason, we've got reasons two and three not to pick D.
0: Yeah. All right. E, global warming probably will not produce more frequent and intense tropical storms. That is spot on. Two, this prediction yeah. is unlikely to be borne out.
2: Yep. What prediction? Oh, the prediction that global warming will produce more frequent and intense tropical storms. Yep. E is the opposite of that prediction. And they came here to tell you that that prediction is probably wrong.
0: Notice the e. language, too. It says probably will not produce. Is unlikely to be borne out. It matches perfectly.
2: Yep. Nothing different. Nothing extra. And it is the main conclusion of the argument. So we can happily pick E. Yeah.
0: All righty. Um, that was test 65, section four, question 14. If you're curious, anything else before we part ways?
2: No, let's wrap it up.
0: We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at thinking LSAT and at LSAT demon. I've been noticing more comments by the way, on the YouTube channel as of late. Yeah. Um,
2: Hey, we're giving away a shit ton of great content, both on the thinking LSAT channel and the LSAT demon channel. So, um, we're happy for you to get a lot out of our stuff for free. Um, tell your friends at thinking LSAT on YouTube is the highlights from the podcast at LSAT demon on YouTube is the highlights from our classes. And if you guys study with us for free and make a ton of progress and refer your friends. um, That's a win for us, even if you never pay us a dime. So um, that's our intention is to make those channels as helpful as they possibly can be. Yeah. If you, if you are going to uh, pay anybody for LSAT prep though, we hope it's us. And that's the idea. We're going to convince you that um, we're going to make the LSAT easy and fun. So uh, yeah, go to lsatdemon.com to do the free trial if you haven't already.
0: Yeah. And if you're on Twitter, the only account you need to follow is NFOX. <laughs> that is, uh,
2: <laughs> I haven't really even been doing anything with Twitter lately. Um, but yeah, I'm at NFOX and uh, my DMs are open if you want to say hi. It's <laughs> one, one way you can get in, get in touch with me.
0: Ping Nathan and tell him to tweet. You can also leave a review on iTunes. Uh, email the show at help at thinkingelset.com. If you're an LSAT Demon subscriber or interested in the LSAT Demon and you have questions about that, direct your questions to help at lsatdemon.com. That was episode 276 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.